For a message, you can turn to Psalm 1. This is a very familiar song that we'll be looking at this morning. We don't know for sure who wrote this psalm. I assume it was probably David, and I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to use that assumption this morning. I'm going to call it David's psalm. Uh, we don't know for sure, but, but I, th- I think it probably was. There's one word in this psalm that I intend to focus on this morning, and that is the word delight. And there's a, there's a question I would like to pose to you, and that is, where is your delight? And that's the challenge I want to leave with you this morning, is where is your delight? And so I've entitled the message, David's Delight. And the essence of the message is this, that in life, we all make deliberate choices. The places we go, the people we associate with, the influences that we allow into our life, and and many others. But it's these choices, these, these deliberate choices that we make that will determine what we delight in. And it's these choices that will shape what our passions are and what our affections are. It's these choices that will determine what we think about, what we meditate on as we go about our day, and ultimately it's these choices that will determine our destiny. So I want to read the passage at this time. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So there's several things in this passage that are very clear. There's two groups of people. There's two ways of living. And there's two outcomes. And and these two groups are are very different. They're, They're in no way related to each other. Two very different groups of people two very different ways of living, and two very different outcomes. And I think that all, or at least most of us here, would profess that we would desire to be with the righteous. We would want to be in that group of people. This is is the category of people that we would want to associate with. And obviously all of us here would say that we want to spend eternity with that group of people. That's what our ultimate goal is, to, to... to have that outcome, to have their outcome. But it seems that sometimes we forget that the way of the righteous is very, very different from the way of the wicked. The, the, the way of life, the, the, the choices we make, the, the decisions we make are very different from the way of the wicked. So I want to spend some time looking at these two different groups of people uh, the way of the wicked versus the way of the righteous. And first of all, we have the way of the wicked. And we see that in verse 1. It talks about the counsel of the ungodly. 
It talks about the way of sinners, and it talks about the seat of the scornful. And we could spend time discussing exactly what, what to put into each category, uh, examples of things to put into each category, and I don't intend to do that this morning, but I think we could summarize it by just simply saying it's their way of life. Everything they do, uh, the advice they give, the decisions they make, the places they go, the way they do business, the people they associate with, the things they think about, the things they talk about, everything about a wicked person, everything about their way of life is, is wicked. It's controlled by Satan. That's the way of the wicked. And verse 1 says, blessed is the man that doesn't go there. Blessed is the man that, that doesn't choose that path, that doesn't walk in that way. He chooses a different path. So verse 2 then, we have the way of the righteous. And again, it's very, very different from the way of the wicked. And it's summed up in, in just two short little phrases. It says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. So just two short thoughts. What he delights in and what consumes his thoughts, what he meditates on. And what is that thing? It says it's the law of the Lord. David finds his delight in following in the precepts of God. He finds his delight in walking in the ways of God, following after the commands of God. And and I I told you at the beginning that I want to focus on this word delight this morning. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of this word delight, but it signifies uh, desire or pleasure, uh, something that's very valuable to us. It's our purpose in life. It's what makes you tick. It's what brings you joy. It's what gets you out of bed in the morning. The dictionary definition says something that makes you very happy, something that gives you great pleasure or satisfaction. My definition would be an overwhelming sense of satisfaction and joy. Think a young man with a new bride. He has what his heart desires, and there's, there's nothing that can take away his smile. He's, he's as happy as he feels he can be. It's his delight. He's delighted. That's, that's the, the, the picture I get here. And David says his delight is in the law of the Lord, and that consumes his thoughts. There's many other things that David could have, have looked to to find purpose in life. There's many things David could have looked to uh, to find fulfillment in life. He had many material blessings. I think we, we understand David was a wealthy man. He had authority. He was king. He, had, he, he, was, he was tops in, in authority. There was temporal pleasures he could have taken time to enjoy. All these things were things that David could have found delight in, but he didn't. He said his delight is in the law of the Lord. David found his delight in submission and obedience to the way and the will of God. And as we see, it was such a part of him that this consumed his thoughts. He meditated on it day and night. And this is the the, the challenge that I I really want to hammer home to you this morning. Where is your delight? What is it that brings you fulfillment? 
Is it, in the, is it in the things that the ungodly has to offer? Or is it in surrender and submission to God? Where is your delight? If you look over the life of David, his life is one, and, and you know the story, but it's one of, of many highs and lows, successes and failures. And yet, in spite of these difficulties, different places throughout his writings, we find this idea of where his delight is. In Psalm 40, verse 8, he says, I delight to do thy will, O God. I delight to do thy will. Can, can you say that this morning? I love doing the will of God. That, that's where I find fulfillment. When I'm walking in submission and obedience to God, that's, where, that's what makes me happy. Is that, is that where your delight is this morning? In Psalm 37, David admonishes us. He says, delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Have you done that? Where is your delight? Turn to Psalm 119. This is another psalm that we don't know for sure who wrote it. Some speculate it was David. I've heard it said possibly Jeremiah. Uh, We're not really sure. But whoever it was we see that they had found their delight in God. I'm just going to go through here quickly and pick out a few verses. Uh, Start with verse 14. It says, I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. So riches are something that the the way of the wicked. They pursue wealth. They pursue, they they, they accumulate material goods. And they, they try to find fulfillment in that. But here the writer says, I've rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. Verse 15, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Now jump down to verse 23. Princes also did sit and speak against me, but thy servant did meditate in thy statutes. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. Verse 35, make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. Again, I I delight in your commandments. Uh, How do we view the commandments of God? Are Are they a weight? Are they a burden? Or are they a delight? Do we delight to do his will? Do we delight in his commandments? Uh, verse 46. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed, and I will delight myself in thy commandments. Here it is again. I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved, and I will meditate in thy statutes. Verse 69. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in my law. And there we have that uh, comparison between the wicked and the righteous. What they're pursuing and what I'm pursuing is is their heart is as fat as grease. They're they're filling their life with with, uh, earthly pursuits and fleshly things, and it looks good, but he says, I delight in thy law. Verse 71, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn their stat- that I might learn thy statutes. So here he's saying, bring on trouble if it brings me closer to you, God. 
I'm rejoicing in affliction because I'm, I'm learning statutes of God. Verse 72, the law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. And then almost at the end of the chapter, verse 174, he says, I have longed for thy salvation, O Lord, and thy law is my delight. So just over and over throughout this chapter, the writer showing us what brings him joy, what brings him his fulfillment in life. And it's, it's God. It's the ways of God. It's the precepts of God, the law of God, the commandments of God. That is what he delights in. More than silver, more than gold, more than fleshly desires, fleshly pursuits. It's in God. The life of David, the writer of Psalm 119, whoever that was, these things do two things for me. Number one, it challenges me. Where is my delight? Where is my delight? What is it that I meditate on as I go about my day? Do I truly find fulfillment in following Christ? Do I delight in being his servant? Am I willing to give up earthly pursuits in order to know Christ better? Am I willing to give up earthly pursuits to serve my brother to get better? We, we, we heard that in Sunday school. These men who laid their life on the altar for the good of their brother. It, and, and they did it joyfully. Am I willing to do that? It challenges me. Do I delight to be in the word of God? Where is my delight? These verses challenge me. But the other thing it does... Well, before I say that, I, I want to relate a story to you. This is something that happened to me probably about a month ago. And it, it's a story about an instance I had where I delighted in God. And, and I don't say this to, to exalt myself. It, it's a testimony. It, it's something God did for me, and I, I want to share it with you. It was over a time where several, I'll just call them church issues, were, were had kind of come up, and it, it should have been discouraging. It was, it was several things that just were hard to know how to deal with, hard to know what to think about, and and should have been discouraging. But, but right after these things surfaced, it was it was real, just kind of right over that time. I, I got up to milk early one morning, and. I can't remember exactly at what point in the morning this happened, but it was, it was soon after I got out of bed. The, the thought came to me, I'm a child of God. And, and just that thought just, just, just overwhelmed me like it never had before, that, that I'm a child of God. And, and that morning, as I, as I went about my work, as I, as I milked those cows, probably most of y'all were sleeping, but I was rejoicing that I'm a child of God. I, I'm part of a kingdom that will never fail. And it was just like, it, it did something to me that, that I don't think I'd ever really experienced before. But just the reality that I am a child of God. And some, at some point, my, my brother came in to, to, to feed calves, and, and I just told him, I said, hey, you know, this might sound kind of funny, but 
this, this morning, I'm just, I'm just glad I'm a child of God. And yeah, he looked at me kind of funny and, well, yeah, okay. And later that morning, I, I called a couple people. And I just told them that, you know, I'm, I'm just glad I'm a child of God. And it, it, just, it just blessed me so much. And since then, there's been different times I've thought back to that morning. And, and, and again, I rejoice. And yet so often, I lose sight of that. So often I get encumbered by the things of this world and, and the, the busyness of life. And, and, and I see the world and, and it looks like they're having so much fun and, and I get distracted and I forget I'm a child of God. Where is my delight? So it, it challenges me. The other thing it does, it gives me a burden. It gives me a burden for a trend that I see in our circles and, and in really in Christianity in general. Just this past week, I received a copy of uh, Fellowship of Concerned Mennonites. Some of you probably received that periodical. And there was an article in there by Larry Growl, and he was writing on current trends that he sees both in the world as well as in, in the church. Did, did any of you read that article? Okay. Well, I was, I was just scanning over it, and, and there was one part of a sentence that jumped out at me, caught my attention, and I said, yeah, that, that's, that's what I'm thinking about for, for Ebenezer. No, I'm not thinking about it for you. That's, it went along with my message. I, I wasn't uh, accusing you there, but... Um, it, it went along with the message that, that I was thinking of. It said this, Multitudes of our people are drifting away from the pursuit of godliness to a newfound freedom to live as they please. Now he was speaking of trends he sees. I'll read that again. Multitudes of our people are drifting away from the pursuit of godliness to a newfound freedom to live as they please. And I said, Exactly. That's, that, he's so right. Turn to Isaiah 55. I just want to read several verses here. They're familiar verses. Isaiah 55, I want to read uh, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Ho, every one that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy, and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness." Now, who gets thirsty? We all do. Come everyone that thirsteth. We all get thirsty. And when we get thirsty, we have a choice of where we're, where we're going to go to quench that thirst. And again, as I said at the beginning, there's two ways. There's the way of the righteous and there's the way of the wicked. And we can go to the world to quench our thirst. And they have a myriad of options for us to, to drink from and to find fulfillment in. And we can go there 
And we can drink, and we can drink, and we can drink, and we're never satisfied. Or we can turn to God, or we can drink that living water, and we'll find the desires of our heart. Where do we go when we get thirsty? And as I look around at God's people, and as I see my tendencies, I sense that too often we're looking for fulfillment in things that never satisfy. We're spending our money on that which is not bread. We're spending our labor on that which satisfieth not. It seems that as we become more and more affluent, we are becoming involved in more and more frivolous activities, temporal pleasures, and things that, yes, they satisfy, but only for a moment. They have no eternal value. As I was preparing this message for, for McGockeysville uh, several months ago, uh, I, I was thinking about this, and I began to write out some s- specific things that, that I see, and, and I wrote out a, a big paragraph, and then I think it was partly the fear of man, I'm not quite sure what all, but I highlighted it on my computer, and I, I made the font, font size real small, and then I put an X through it. I decided not to read it. But as I was preparing to to share this here, I I looked at it again, and I highlighted it again. I made it bigger, and I unexed it. I decided I'm going to read it. You can take it or leave it. But here's, here's my concern. We all need times of refreshment and recreation, but it seems that we are living in a day when we no longer just take the occasional family vacation or play an occasional game of softball. Now we go golfing, bowling, snowboarding. We have personal trainers and gym memberships. We buy airplanes, bass boats, motorcycles, mountain bikes, and vacation homes. We go on cruises and elaborate hunting trips. We buy the finest hunting equipment. We drive the nicest vehicles. We build the fanciest houses. All the while, the herding go unhelped the hungry go unfed, and the lost go unreached. And I ask, what are we doing? When will the people of God wake up? Where is our passion for the things of God? Where is our delight? Where is our fulfillment? It feels like so often our people claim to follow Christ, and yet they chase after one temporal pleasure after another. And I ask, have we left our first love? Do we truly find fulfillment in serving Christ. Where is our delight? I guess my concern, and it's not for you any more than it is for myself, my concern is that too much of our time is being consumed with the wrong things. Our resources are being consumed with the wrong things, and we wonder why we can't seem to have victory in our walk with Christ. We wonder why God seems so far away. We wonder why our churches don't have spiritual power. And again, I ask, where is our delight? And many of these specific things that I mentioned here, we could argue there's really nothing wrong with them. And you're right, there's not. Uh, And I'm not trying to condemn you if if I read something that's a part of your life. Some of these things I read are a part of my life. So it's true, many of these things there's, there's nothing wrong with. But I would just 
plead of you, beware. If the devil can get us to fill our minds and our time with things that have no eternal value, he's won. If our minds and our time are filled with things of this earth, it doesn't matter if if there's nothing wrong with them. He's won. He's got our hearts. Where is our delight? Now, if you have ever been like me and you've been tempted to think that the world has something to offer us, you're not alone. Turn to Psalm 73. In Psalm 73, another familiar psalm, this is a psalm of Asaph, and he too, he looked at the wicked and he said he, he almost slipped. He almost decided that, that the wicked had it made. He, he saw their prosperity, their life looked ideal, and, and he, he began to doubt that, that the way of Christ was really the best way. Why bother being a Christian? Why, why bother with all these things? Look at, look at the world. They're, they're having fun. They've got it made. But then go to verse 17. And he says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. Asaph saw the end of the wicked. He saw that these things that looked so appealing were going were gonna to vanish. They, they, had, they had no value. They had no lasting value. And, and he changed his perspective. Go to verse 21. He says this, Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Asaph considered the way of the wicked, and he saw their end. And he saw that all these things that looked so appealing had no lasting value, and he changed his course. May we recognize that before we get to the end of our life, and it's too late. May we, while we still have strength, while we still have breath, realize that the way of the wicked has nothing to offer us. We have everything we need in Christ. We have everything we need in God. We have what the world needs. And let's not follow the world in their frivolous pursuits of trivial things, but rather let's point the world to the springs of living water. Where is your delight? Now I want to look at the result of one who finds his delight in God. Go to verse 3 of Psalm 1. Verse 3, this is the, the, the end result, not the end result, this is, this is the result in this life. 
Verse 3, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So there you have a picture of, of the man or the woman who has chosen the way of the righteous. They're like a tree. They're, they're solid. They're grounded. The storms of life can come, and it can beat upon them, but they're firm. They're, they're, they're grounded. They're bearing fruit. They're providing shade. They're providing uh, things for other people for, and for other creatures around them. They're, they're useful. They're fruitful. They're growing. That's a picture of someone who has found their delight in God. Then we get to verse 4, and we see a picture of the ungodly, the re, a result of, the, of, of, of their lifestyle. It says this, The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. So you have the comparison between a live, big, healthy tree planted by a river versus chaff. You just, and it's gone. It's dead. It's worthless. It has no lasting value. It doesn't take a storm to, 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 to move. It, it, it just takes a, a little breeze. The difference between a chaff and a tree. That's the picture of the ungodly. Now I want to go to the last two verses of this psalm and look at their, the final outcome. Verse 5, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Regardless of how much fun we think that the world is having, judgment is coming. Let them have their fun now, because it's going to end. And, and this, is, this reality is what Asaph saw, and it caused him to change his, his direction. caused him to change his perspective. God knows the way of the righteous, and God will reward the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. Where is your delight? As I, as I considered David and, and where his delight was and just this, this overwhelming joy that, that we sense David had in following after God, I, I just had to ask myself, if David could delight himself in the law of God, this is, this is Old Testament, the Mosaic law, the sacrificial system, that's what David was under. If he could find delight in that, how much more should we today? We've been redeemed. We've been called out of the world. We have Jesus Christ, the ultimate sacrifice. We've been saved by the blood of Christ. We're children of the king. We're a child of God. We're part of a kingdom that never will fail. If David could find delight in the law of God, how much more should we today? So again, this psalm makes it very clear. There are two ways, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And there are only two ways. And we will choose the way that we walk. It, it has nothing to do with our circumstances. Yes, our circumstances do 
affect our choices sometimes, but at the end of the day, we choose. Each of us individually. We choose our walk, and, and as we make these choices, the choices we make will determine where our delight is. I don't think any of us are going to just make a resolve, I'm going to delight in God, and go about your life like you always have, and find that you're delighting in God. As we choose the way of the righteous, it, that in turn turns our minds to God, turns our, our affections to God, and our delight becomes the things of God. It, it, you can't separate our delight and our way of life. If, if our way of life is not patterned after the way of the righteous, our delight will not be in God. I think we need to recognize that. And if our delight is in God, then that's what we'll meditate on day and night, just like the psalmist here says. But as long as we're searching for fulfillment in the ways of the ungodly, we'll never find our delight in Christ. So I trust that this morning each of us can be challenged to evaluate our lives. Where is my delight? What is it that I meditate on day and night? Am I walking in the way of the righteous or in the way of the wicked? We have what the world needs, and the world needs and the world wants what we have. So may we find our delight in Christ. Shall we have a song?